Hi guys, hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Irish Balance podcast. If you are new to this podcast, thank you so much for joining. My name is Dr. Kira Kelly. I'm a public health doctor based in Galway in Ireland. And if you're a regular listener, then you already know who I am. And thank you so much for coming back to another episode. Today's episode is going to be all about nutrition, which we all know is a very popular health topic. And we're going to be focusing on simple ways to start eating healthier and understanding nutrition. And I am so excited to introduce my guest for today's episode. It's performance nutritionist, Daniel Davey, who many of you uh, probably follow as Davey Nutrition on Instagram. And Daniel currently works as a nutritionist with Leinster Rugby and Dublin Football. And his background is in science, followed by a master's in nutrition, physical activity and health. And he's also a certified strength and conditioning specialist. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, really well. Thanks very much for having me on, Kara. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for giving up your time, especially with the current world we are living in. I'm very, very grateful. Um, Daniel, would you mind introduce? I know I've done a little bit of an introduction there, but could you just tell the listeners a bit about yourself and your background and I suppose how you've gotten to where you are today, I guess? Sure. Uh, I'm trying to streamline this uh, because I suppose as, a, as you get a little bit older, you start to figure out there's, a, there's an awful lot of different influences from your upbringing, your parents, your grandparents, coaches, teammates, friends, all of that kind of thing. So there's a, there's a lot of different parts to it. Um, and I am a firm believer that the environment that you grow in and the environment that you're exposed to has a, has a big impact. Mm. So uh, I suppose from a very young age, I was exposed to good food. Uh, grew up in a farm in a small little place called Chaffpool uh, in Sligo. Um, so we had a small farm, mainly beef, but my grandparents were dairy and uh, that was, I suppose, just part of life was being exposed to nature and the production of food. And then, you know, growing up on a farm, food quality became something that uh, was just very, very, very normal. So fresh vegetables from the garden and fresh milk, and that's just what you developed a taste for. Mm. So I suppose I, I, I actually had, uh, even was thinking about it back last night, um, we had plenty of space because obviously at this, you know, we're, we're all confined at the moment, but yeah. I, uh, I had a football at my feet or in my hands from the age of uh, about one and a half, two. And oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would be, there'd be certain parts of, um, my personality that again I wouldn't have even recognized it now or I wouldn't have recognized it a child or I wouldn't have known anything about it, but definitely maybe a, a, a obsessive and persistent so sport mm. was something that uh, I developed a liking for and all different sports but when you're from the west of Ireland you've got generally an option of playing Gaelic football or nothing really maybe yeah. athletics so played Gaelic football and all I wanted to do was be a good Gaelic footballer so I was always interested in nutrition because my grandparents and my parents talked about the value of it and how it impacted your body and the impact on potentially you performing well and getting stronger and all that kind of thing so growing up um, it was farming it was food and sport and I wasn't particularly good in school at all. I wouldn't say I was academic. Um, there's a couple of subjects I liked and I, I was interested in how the body worked. And I was also interested in how animals' bodies work. So it was either veterinary or things like food or even medicine had, took my interest early on. But mm. because I suppose I, and this is a common enough story that I wasn't strong academically. I kind of ruled an awful lot, an awful lot of these types of jobs out. Um, and by the time I did my leave insert, the only real opportunity to work in somewhere that was relevant to my interest was agricultural science in UCD. Mm. So I went on and did agricultural science, and from there I was exposed to science food, nutrition in a little bit more detail. My friend Brendan Egan was doing sports nutrition and uh, he was also doing, he had done a sports science degree and I, I started to realize, okay, that's the direction I wanted to go. Mm. So fast forward, once you figure out what you wanted to do, it was about getting the qualifications, doing your masters, getting some work experience, working your way up as best you possibly could. And, and I guess a key message in, in, in all of this was that 
I was exposed to an awful lot of different elements uh, in my career and my overall like work experience and jobs. It was everything from marketing to to labs to sports environments, and they all benefited me um, to the point when the job opportunities came up with with Leinster in Dublin. Uh, I felt I was in a strong position with a good skill set to say I can make a difference in these environments. I love that. I think it's it's something that is so important and, and particularly a consideration for me as a public health doctor is the role of our environment and that nature versus nurture debate. Yeah. It sounds like that was a big factor for you. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And obviously you've made quite a move now onto social media as well, Daniel. And how did that transition happen from your, I suppose, your, your working life to some of it being online? I probably haven't given this an awful lot of thought or I haven't reflected on it very much, uh, to be honest with you, to, to, mm. to say, like, how has that all happened? I suppose a couple of things, and it's very, very much back to um, the, the people's opinions that you value the most uh, when it comes to something as, as fickle as social media. And I guess I have my parents ringing in my ears um, from a very young age where I would have taken a lot of risks uh, to to kind of demonstrate whatever thing that was, whether it was, I, I know this sounds ridiculous, but whether it was to shave my eyebrow off or whether it was <laughs> to uh, put highlights on my hair or wear odd socks. Like I was never, I was never in a home that gave a lot of criticism for those type of things. I might get a, an eyes to heaven or he's at it again. And I suppose as you get older and you get a little bit more um, aware of what's important to you and what's not important to you, I ultimately enjoy sharing my insights on nutrition and food online. And that is ultimately why I do it. And I really, really, really uh, like hearing that I've had some small influence on people's behavior from a nutrition point of view. So... That's the first thing. And I suppose the second thing is that it's an expression of what you're interested in. And we all like to express ourselves in different ways. Now, don't get me wrong. There is also, it's a little bit further down the list, but there's also a sense that I'm trying to create uh, some form of security for myself in, in a very, very... Um, unsecure and unstable type of job uh, and a lot of people will say particularly from you know you, you come in contact and people think they, they associate a following with doing well well yeah. it doesn't actually mean anything it doesn't so really and what it does uh, like it means that people are engaged in the information you're sharing but it has it there's no stability in it but what I am trying to do is create stability in business and I am trying to provide people with a very, very, very good service and communicate about that service through social media. I think that's such a good point about following. I mean, we know following doesn't always equal qualification either, but it's so exactly. true. I think people see like we had a big family quiz last night and one of my um, one of the questions was, about family trivia and one was how many followers does Kira have and <laughs> all my uncles and aunts were like you 15,000 and it's just a number this is the yeah. thing like it, it really doesn't it's all about what you're providing and what you're doing with what the content you're providing what yes. people are taking from it yes yes and you do I'll, a lot of cook-alongs yeah. as well which I think are great yeah and I'd, I'd also say this as well and I really 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 I really believe this too which um a lot of people I don't think they understand exactly what I mean, but it is, it means so much to me that I have people that um, who are really engaged and have become, this sounds crazy, I know, but almost like my online friends. Aww. So, well, it is, uh, like, let's say, for example, our relationship is also formed and, yeah. and developed through uh, respect for each other online and for a respect for each other's messages. So that's the kind of thing that's happened. And I get a minimum of four or five really like funny or wry smile moments throughout my day from people who have done something, uh, uh, you know, that a recipe or a piece of information, whatever, and they've given me feedback on it in some way that they've implemented it. And it's funny. And um, so it's, it's much, much more about the people who are engaged in your content uh, and, and feel and you feel like you're making a difference too rather than numbers 
Absolutely, yeah. I think even something I always tag you in each week, you're probably sick of it by now, is those chocolate protein bars. And they yeah. have a positive impact on my life every yeah. single week. Yeah. But it is, it's very special. And I think that is a true benefit of social media is if you're doing something, you know, that's kind and good to the world and bringing that sort of content out to people, a bit of it does come back to you, which is lovely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. how do you find balancing the time you spend on it with real life that's just my last question on it I'm always interested in how as healthcare professionals we we balance that I think it is tricky to do sometimes I think it's a it's a it's a good question and becoming more conscious of it um I, I'll answer it uh, maybe in three different parts mm. the first part is the mental health component um, yeah. So if, if I was to reflect on the mental health component, I would be very, very, very honest and say that social media doesn't affect my mental health. It hasn't to date. Mm. So and what I mean by that is that I'm not overly concerned um, with the with negative feedback. It's not I, I've made a conscious choice to put myself out into the world. And I know that whether it be people not liking my content or recipes I, I've accepted that from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also very careful about who I'm engaging with and who I'm uh, following or who's taking up my time. So I'm, I, I, I use my, I suppose, the platform for what, what is coming through my content very, very carefully. Mm. If I'm being really honest, really, really honest, um, I have definitely slipped with some of my controls uh, and some of my stop measures for social media, particularly in the last month. Mm. So I would say, let's say, for example, uh, the obvious things that people talk about, and some of us are not really good at even, you know, taking our own advice, like, uh, how present your bedroom, your your phone is in your bedroom, and how late yeah. you're on to the evening and stuff like that. Those are the things that have slipped, um, and I think the fact that I've launched a new website and because you know you've got less structure in your days, I'm probably on it more. But as mm -hmm. time is going on, I will like I'm one of these people who you know you talk about this readiness for change. When I make a commitment to myself, I do get back on track with them. Yeah. I think it, but in fairness to you and to those listening who are, I'm sure, are feeling the same about the past month in particular, I know I'm the same. Um, I used to have a very strict 9 p.m. no phone rule and it is out the window, but I ha I've taken back a little bit of it, but I sleep mm -hmm. frequently and it's very hard. It is very, mm -hmm. very hard, especially when we can't have as much in-person connection as we normally yeah. would. Yeah. Um, and I've totally sidetracked. <laughs> it is but I think it's interesting and I think it is interesting for people to hear um because what people often see when they when they follow is I suppose the, the content but I think it's interesting to know that we are human and we're trying to navigate this as best we can you know outside of of the content we're providing the main couple of things I wanted to touch on with you Daniel um in this podcast episode is uh, first of all about simplifying health eating because I think it's something that um I have learned about so much through your content and I'm sure um, you get a lot of um, anecdotal I suppose or uh, stories and experiences of people who've either used your book or have followed your content what would you say are the biggest are people you've worked with even as clients what would you say are the biggest challenges or barriers that those you've worked with whether that be a client a team or people that follow you describe when they're trying to eat a bit healthier I think it's changed Kira. Uh, mm. I, I, I really do think it's changed because I'm not having to work as hard to get engagement in nutrition or engagement in the area. I think that there's been a, a remarkable change in people's mindset to the value of nutrition. Mm. Uh, I think whether people are really interested in it or not, I think there's an acceptance that whether it be for health or performance reasons, we do need to be clued into this and we do need to be meeting our daily specific needs for, for energy and nutrients and things like that. Yeah. So what it has changed too, I mean, the first thing, and by the way, um, I when I'm asked these questions, what I try to go with is instinctive responses. Yeah. So what I find the biggest challenge currently is getting the balance right between the level of detail, so people really looking for answers within things like tracking and yeah. and the the natural, instinctive, intuitive uh, 
positive relationship that people can have with their food. Yeah. So I feel like I've moved a lot in terms of my messaging from it's almost like I've moved more into psychology around food mm. than, I, than I have around nutrition information um, mm. it's a lot less about uh, it's a lot less about the detail within nutrition um, it's an awful lot more about uh, helping people to be comfortable with their food choices while understanding how to meet their goals does that make sense that makes a huge amount of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Even like it makes sense to me as a doctor, but also as a human being, you yeah. know, who I, has found that a struggle. It is hard. Definitely. Yeah, I, I give I give you one small example, one small example. And uh, it, it, you know, it's a small example, but it's, it's a very common theme that I'm seeing come through my clinic at the moment. Mm. The people who, who are finding themselves uh, interested or engaged or coming to me for information are people who have a very high level of nutrition understanding, very high level. So they're people who will have tracked everything that they've eaten for a number of weeks. They're fitting a specific macronutrient number and they're still looking for answers within nutrition because they're not happy. Yeah. And I find it a little bit unnerving, a little bit unsettling because I probably think that if, if I grew up in the current environment now, I'm, maybe I'd be the same. You know, yeah. may, maybe I would have been sucked into, oh, tracking every day is really important or hitting the specific amount of food at this specific time is really important. Where people are quite shocked when I say, I'm honest, to be honest with you, this is not that important at all. You know, our, our total numbers are important but you really need to take a step back here and you need to think about your relationship with food and what I want you to do is stop tracking I actually want you to stop tracking and I want you to start to enjoying food again so that's a little bit different to the, some of the challenges you might have specifically related to sports performance which are fueling management of fiber intake protein distribution you know evolving diets and things like that very different but that's probably one of the things that comes to me instinctively I love that answer I think as I said it's something that I've noticed come to the fore in social media quite a bit as well is um I suppose the discussion around relationships with food um think that's just such a great answer so my mind's a little bit blown <laughs> because it's it's really true and it's something as I said I've experienced myself like I know I won't name the app but I used to use it and yeah not doing, not doing yeah. that anymore was one of the best things that I ever did and I don't mind saying that in the podcast because I've written a blog post about it anyway um yeah. but, you, but you, you, you did something quite interesting on tracking too that I thought was very relevant in the same type of space um on uh fitness trackers yes yeah yeah, I reached a point at different times um, where, so I stopped tracking food-wise. It was a good few years ago now. And then with, um, I won't name what I was using, but with the tracker yeah. I was using, I just found it was intrusive. And yeah. I reached a point where I thought, no, I actually care too much about this number. And this is not yeah. how I measure enjoyment yes. from going for a walk yes. or from eating a dinner, you know? Yes, yes. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I and think I it's all, yeah. Sorry. No, sorry, you go for it, yeah. No, 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 you go. No, sorry. No, no, I think those tipping points are are important. And that's not to say, obviously, there isn't a time and a place yeah. for education or understanding, or even with fitness trackers, it's a different topic. But for motivating people, I've certainly worked with patients who have become very physically active through using them, and that's brilliant to see. But when it in when it intrudes on your ability to enjoy what you're doing and to live your life that's when I think it has to get the flick out personally no very much so and I, I'll be very straight with you I, I mean I have definitely had more than one situation where people have come to me for advice and feel let down because mm -hmm. I, I haven't given them an answer that's related to more detail you know it's a like people have I, I have no problem no problem sharing the fact that my, be, my, my sessions around nutrition are much more behavior-led and about self-reflection and self-awareness than they are. Uh, they're much more coaching-led than they are nutrition-led. Yeah. And 
people, I suppose you, you do need to be open-minded to that. And when when I start my conversations with people, I, I, I say that trust is going to be a very important part of this relationship that we're having, this professional relationship. Mm. So it's, uh, um, I would imagine our our type of communication, you as a, as a doctor and me as mm. a nutritionist have probably aligned an awful lot more over the pre- last couple of years than, than maybe traditionally would have been so. Absolutely. And one of the things I love most about the content you share, I know it, it's not the main type, but when you do talk about behavior change and that, that behavior change cycle, I, I just find that fascinating. And I think it's just something that we really underestimate, you know, food is not just fuel and we need to stop seeing it that way. You know, it's so much a part of our lives and part of our culture, you know? Yeah, I, I have, I, 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 it's, it's somewhat, it's one of those little things now, like the little balloons that I'm trying to pop, you know, yeah. when, when you're doing your mindfulness and things like that, and you're trying to get a little bit more control over your emotions. But when, when people tag me now and I see a uh, hashtag food for fuel, I just pop oh. it. And I go, <laughs> And I go, no, you actually haven't been listening to me, if that's what you think. <laughs> um, now, I suppose the thing is, I know a lot of the general population, um, I do agree with you. I think there is a much uh, greater awareness of the importance of even something as simple as getting your five to seven servings of fruit and vegetables per day, improving your fiber intake. If someone listening just wants to start somewhere small with adding a bit of health to their diet, and I think that is a critical thing to think about is what we can add as opposed to what can to be taken away. Yeah. Um, where do you think, or even would you have a, two or three ideas of where people could start? It's, it's a brilliant question, but I think that the question has to go to the person. And I think mm. that what has to be done is you apply a process rather than applying a, 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 a type of criteria or going to a specific area within your diet first, because yeah. I, I was I was having a, a I, I'm terrible for, for deviating, uh, Kira, but bear with oh, me. Oh, so am I. <laughs> uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, a guy I, I work with, and we, we talk a lot about nutrition. And um, he is a really, really, he's a, he's a, he really understands nutrition, but he was telling me about somebody that he knows who was asked as part of his process or his self-awareness to all all he was asked to do was to drink more water and he was so pissed off and he was like i'm after spending <laughs> this amount of money and i'm t- being told to drink more water and uh, i thought it was brilliant because it's a first step it's 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 understanding that through every conversation he had with that professional, that they realized that, you know, that that person isn't drinking much fluids at all. And we're just going to have to address one area at a time because there's a mountain to climb. But if we go trying to climb that mountain without any layers of preparation done, then we're going to fall at base camp or we're not going to get very far up that mountain. So it's, it's, it's about looking, uh, so as a practitioner, I listen to people, I hear about their behavior and their challenges, and we isolate one thing, uh, or we isolate, like you said, three things. So it could be something as simple as when you get up in the morning, uh, or do you hydrate first thing in the morning? What's your first action or habit? Do you have breakfast? Do you not have breakfast? What's your meal timing like? How, how much space is between your meals? Mm-hmm. Have you got a good structure around wh- when you first have your meal and when you last have your meal, or is it all over the place? Yeah. And like you said, uh, I absolutely, like one of the first areas I go is, uh, is, is, is on fruit and vegetable intake. You know, it's such a good marker of where people's headspace is at around nutrition. And if it's below five, well, let's get it up to six. Mm. Um, I heard a brilliant one. Or sorry, I read a brilliant one. Uh, it was a. I'm nearly sure it was a. It was. Uh, it was a Scandinavian country anyway. I was. I'm not sure if it was Finland. They're always on the ball. They're on the ball, aren't they? Yeah. From an activity, from a behavior change, from a nutrition point of view. But they did this behavior change strategy with children, and what they did was they looked at children who had one and a half average portions of fruit and vegetables a day and they they did a study over six months and all they did was for every extra portion for every extra portion a day 
that the child had, um, they gave the child a star. So mm. it was a reward. It was a form of reward that wasn't related to food, but it was a, a recognition for an improvement, mm -hmm. an encouragement, positive reaffirmation. And they found that over the six months that the average portion of int the average portion had gone up to three. And I, I heard that and I thought, absolutely magic. Like, that's absolutely brilliant. You've increased or changed something. We're, we're talking about a child here. Yeah. Yeah. That was having one to one and a half portions, and in six months, you've and somebody else might look at that and go, "Yeah, but it's only increased to three; it's not a five. And I'm like, "Yeah, but look how much improvement, sustained yeah. improvement that you've had in such a short space of time." So I use that type of approach with all aspects of nutrition and try and help people to break it down and use a process of pen and paper and not overwhelming people is really, really important to that. I think that's brilliant. Like you're so right. It goes down to the person because we're all going to start at different points. And it doesn't mean that any point is better than the other. It just means we've got either a little bit further, or a little bit shorter to go. And what you're trying to do is build a habit for the long term. Um, I love that study about the children. That's fantastic. Yeah. Pos get, positive yeah. reinforcement. Yeah. I get it a lot. Um, when I when I go to events, I get a lot of mothers and fathers mm. Who are very frustrated about uh, fruit and vegetable intake and uh, it's it's something that i've had to read about to understand yeah. more particularly working with families mm. um and it's it's one of the things uh, we could do an entire podcast on it but the the most important thing that the the, the two most important things that i'd say is role model and patience and if you apply those two uh they sound incredibly simple, but if you apply those two over time, those are the two things that will have the most powerful impact on behavior. Yeah, 100%. Like, it, it's funny how those childhood memories come back to you. I remember at our table, um, if you didn't eat your broccoli, you were not getting dessert and you weren't leaving the table and yeah. neither was anybody else. Now, yeah. broccoli is my favorite vegetable now, so yeah. I don't know how that works from a psychological point of view, but I will say my parents did role model um, yes the behavior yes. if that makes sense yes 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 Big <laughs> great time. great great answer and really important I'd say that's a really hard question to answer I as I don't have children so I can't I can't speak to experience on it but I'd mm. imagine that is a big challenge absolutely yeah. now this was the second area I wanted to discuss um Daniel was understanding nutrition now we've spoken about this a little bit and balancing understanding with having a healthy relationship with food and I think at this point, lots of people do understand and recognize different foods without necessarily knowing maybe if we go at a, a broad level, things like macronutrients or what sources they're getting those from. And I think every single one of our three key macronutrients, like whether that be carbohydrates, fats or protein, they've been subject to different levels of misinformation online. And mm -hmm. I was wondering if we could break those down a little bit um, sure. and look at carbohydrates first and I suppose go a bit broad and say look if we look at it from a food perspective what type should we be eating maybe more of and is there type you should be eating less of and I don't like the word should either but just from I suppose a health point of view. Okay so they're they're great questions uh, and it's funny like the, the 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 value in this is how I can how we can discuss this in very very concise terms. Mm. Uh, so I, if I start really broad, what I would say is that if you're preparing, and this is on a broad term, and you will have heard me talk about this a lot, but if you are preparing your own meals, if you are using natural food ingredients, and what I mean by even natural is that you're using fresh ingredients like fruit and vegetables and grains that are in their closest form, then you know, you're, you're really starting on a very, very positive place. And so much of the positive feedback and positive stories I'm hearing about people's improvement in health and improvement in body composition and improvement in, in just their overall perceptions of well-being have been over the past four or five weeks where people have been cooking and preparing more of their own meals. Mm. So there's such a strong relationship between people's investment in their preparation of food and the actual value and the quality of the food that you eat. Mm. So carbohydrate 
we have, like you said, uh, it's probably been broken into two broad, <laughs> good and bad, which is yeah. low digesting carbohydrate or low glycemic index carbohydrate and fast digesting, rapidly digesting or absorbing uh, carbohydrate, which is more associated with sugar. Mm. So uh, the, the big thing I would say is that you always start at the bottom of the, the pyramid when it comes to what matters. You look at calories in, calories out, of course. But broadly speaking, when you look at carbohydrates, you're thinking potatoes, you're thinking rice, you're thinking pasta, you're thinking bread. You're thinking uh, a food that is going to provide you with a, a good source of energy, but the key thing being a stable source of energy. Yeah. And when it comes to a slow digesting form of energy, it's the rate at which it's broken down. So a high fiber root vegetable is going to be digested more slowly, um, whether it be a carrot or a sweet potato, it's going to be digested more slowly than a rapidly digested carbohydrate source like a like simple sugars or honey or fruit juices and things like that. So in the broadest sense, that's, that's it. Uh, and what I just encourage people to do is rather than focus overly on um, the percentages and quantities is, is two simple things. Carbohydrate is very, very useful for energy, for activity, and particularly from athletic performance, it's the main fuel that's used for performance and used during high-intensity exercise. Mm -hmm. So from my book or from my simple philosophy is that the more exercise you do, the more appropriate it is to eat more carbohydrate. The less exercise you do, the less carbohydrate you, you would consume. Now, I will say to add another thing to that, if we look at blood sugar control, one of the most critical things that manages blood sugars uh, or your blood sugar is, or blood glucose, is a mixed meal. So if you mix carbohydrate with protein and fats, which is the most common thing that we should be doing anyway, it's like eggs on brown toast and avocado, it's yeah. It's beans on toast, you know, it's a chicken sandwich, it's potatoes, chicken and vegetables. They're all examples. And that's why traditional eating has been the thing that we've so often tried to encourage people to get back to. Brilliant, brilliant. And I think that's a really key point about you said there, usually people break these. Uh, it's the same for fats as well, but like good and bad labels attached to carbohydrates or fats and that's as we talked about earlier with food relationships that idea of attaching a moral label to a food um like the phrase you are what you eat drives me mad because mm -hmm. when we attach that kind of good and bad dichotomous thinking it's really unhelpful um i personally think yeah yeah and and there's there's an example throughout the entire world of where people do the opposite on every level within nutrition and live long healthy lives. You know, there's yeah. major population <laughs> yeah. studies that can prove any different combination. And, you know, people who worked on sugarcane farms in Africa, whose intake of energy was predominantly sugar, you know, 80% live long healthy lives. They didn't have a tooth in their yeah. head, but they live long, you know, they live long <laughs> healthy lives because what were they doing? They were cutting it with, with, with long hatchets do you know what yeah. i mean they were so yeah. physically active that they Absolutely. were using that sugar mm -hmm. i would even get athletes coming to me to this day asking me about smoothies and the sugar contents in smoothies and i'm going mm. you're an athlete and yeah. what are you what are you obsessing about sugar and smoothies for do you know yeah. so exactly. it is, so that's the thing and and uh, and that's probably one of the most common questions around sports drinks and parents would have that they wouldn't allow their children use a sports drink during sports and just not understanding that that child has is potentially doing more physical activity than an elite athlete yeah and yeah. Uh, that it is a very 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 precise and short space of time in a child's day or week that they would be using that sports drink yeah and Having looked at carbohydrates, I personally have found I like I get a lot of questions and more of them have gone towards public health now, which is good because I'm very open and honest that I'm not a dietitian or a nutritionist. Yeah. But I do I have been asked previously about fats as well, which is another one of our macronutrients. Yeah. And I suppose it's similar in that we hear a lot of chat about this idea of good versus bad fats. Could you clarify that for us a little bit? 
Okay, again, the whole podcast could be about I know uh, about fats, <laughs> but I suppose to to be again to take a very simple approach, there is suggested good fats and the suggested unhealthy fats. Yeah. Um, what we do know within the in within fats is that healthy fats, which are polyunsaturated fats, monounsaturated fats, which are associated mainly from a if you look at population studies, are associated with the Mediterranean diet. So your olive oils, your avocado, nuts and seeds, fish, uh, and where a high percentage of healthy fats is consumed is associated with a good cardiovascular system, a good blood lipid profile, which is a good cholesterol versus your ratio to bad cholesterol and long healthy lives. People within that population will also have um, some unhealthy fats, but a very, very low percentage or intake of what we would call processed trans fats. Mm. Um, and it is the size of these fats and the size of the molecule that is suggested to be um, how you would categorize them as a, as a healthy fat or an unhealthy fat. Mm. So with trans fats being creating quite a um, an easy or um, an, a very sticky type of plaque on our blood vessels. That's kind of what w- would be associated with most commonly. Um, so that's your trans fats. And then, of course, there's an awful lot of debate in, in, within saturated fats, whether they're a good thing, whether they're a bad thing. Um, but it's all about, I think, when you, you can get into the argument about things like coconut oil and animal fats, and you can discuss this up and down. Mm. I think the important message to take away from it is that it's mostly about the proportions. And if you are eating foods that are naturally high in these, what we said, polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fats, your nuts and seeds and fish, and all of those foods that are very clear to us to be um, real food, yeah. The percentages don't seem to matter that much either. It's the same type of discussion around uh, around carbohydrate. But there's people again. If you looked at some of the diets of people in the uh, in the Arctic who eat predominantly a high fat diet uh, and again in- incredibly healthy cardiovascular systems. So the quality of the fat that we're eating is important and less processed fats is better. Where do we get the most common form of processed fats? Usually in things like takeaway food and um, foods that have been processed, biscuits and uh, confectionery, which we shouldn't be eating too much of anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. (laughs) God, I don't know how I navigated that. (laughs) Very well. Very well. I, I, I was thinking back and I was thinking after every a couple of words does that make sense does that make sense that, <laughs> it's very difficult i mean if, you, if you're if you're talking about uh, debating science and debating around i think the number one thing where the greatest level of debate is is in is now at the moment is in fact because there are so many people who are pro-fat pro-ketogenic pro-fasting you know they're 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 shouting the loudest now at the moment in that space yeah, which I just stay away from yeah. <laughs> as much as possible. I stay in my lane. Um, thank you, Daniel. The last, I suppose, macronutrient I wanted to just very briefly ask you about was protein, because I suppose we know it's obviously a key macronutrient at all stages of life. But there's been a lot of chat, I suppose, in the last couple of years, especially about plant protein and animal protein and environmental considerations around that. And I was wondering what you thought would be a best uh, was um, a way for people to have a bit of a balance of both without, I suppose, compromising intake of, of key nutrients? I know that's a big question, but if someone was looking to bring a bit more plant protein into their lives, um, but, you know, not giving up anything either, um, is there a way to kind of go about that? Okay, uh, I'll give you what I think is a rational, I think I'm a fairly rational person when it comes to this type of stuff. So I'll give you my current behavior around um, this space. Mm. Uh, I am very environmentally aware. Um, I do want our planet to to live on um, in the best in, in as, you know, I, I want to have the best possible influence from my behavior on the on the planet, and yeah. 
I'm conscious of that and I'm conscious of educating people and helping people to understand things a little bit better. So what am, what am I doing from an environmental perspective? I'm, I'm trying to walk more, I'm trying to drive less, I'm trying to cycle more, I'm trying to recycle better. Uh, and when it comes to protein, I'm very specific about where I get my protein from. So I try and source protein where possible from local farmers at home uh, or at least be sure that I'm supporting an industry that's based in Ireland that's not overly intensive. Um, yeah. So what does that mean? Just, just even just being sure that you're sourcing Irish beef and Irish meat and Irish lamb and things like that. Mm. That's a first good point to, to start, you know. Uh, and even when you're choosing, even when you're buying chicken and things like that, it's very, very easy now to get chicken in butchers and things like that from outside of Ireland, you know, yeah. imported from Holland and, and places like that. So sourcing local protein. You look at protein intake as a, as, as a nutrient and you talk about it through your meals throughout the week. What I've adopted is based on my own likes and dislikes. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say a vegan, but certainly... A minimum of of two vegetarian or maybe one vegan dinner a week, um, a couple of maybe one or two meat free days. Um, still include meat, red meat, but try and alternate it as best I can between plant protein, fish, chicken, turkey, and red meat itself. So mm -hmm. it's trying to take a little bit more of a balanced approach to my overall food intake. For a variety of purposes, for interest purposes, for to expand my cooking skills and from a nutrition standpoint. The thing I suppose to mention um, around meat intake is that, uh, or around protein intake, is that there's, there's one, the most important thing is your total protein intake. The next thing is the distribution of that protein. And then you can talk, maybe, pro, uh, sorry, timing and quality are probably interchangeable. But total being the most important, uh, and then you kind of go down further into the amino acid pro uh, profile and meeting your full need for each one of those essential amino acids. But it's very easy to do if you're mixing grains uh, and, you're, and you're mixing different plant protein sources. Okay, and I think a key thing you've raised there, Daniel, thank you for, 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 for addressing that so well key thing you've raised there is other behaviors in our lifestyles matter too. It's that's a key thing I'm trying to communicate to people. It's not just about what goes on your plate. Oh, that's obviously really, really important. But as you say, recycling, driving less, you know, looking at how much international travel we do, although not yeah. any at the moment, yeah. obviously, but yeah. our whole lifestyle is what makes a difference as well. Yeah. It's not just about one decision take yeah or yeah. whatever yeah exactly just because it's yeah. trendy on social media i think that's a key point i did uh, I, i've just finished a postgrad um and one of my two actually very very topical things i'm going to talk about them a little bit more down the line i might do yeah. some sort of video or something like that but two of the projects that i did uh the first one was on uh which was a hypothetical situation a hypothetical scenario where you were working with an elite Olympic rowing team and they had just watched some of the nonsense documentaries that were on Netflix and oh, they, they had decided that they were turning vegan and you had to provide them with a very, very, very concise resource that provided the pros and cons. Wow. Um, so I had to do 50-50 what the advantages and disadvantages were on both ends and it was an unbelievably insightful piece of work. Purely because, uh, sorry, did you, do you want to say something there? No, no, work away. Yeah, keep going. No, just purely because there are implications from it, because the, the theme was the environment as well as the nutrition. But there was, there was, there was total contradictions within vegan um, uh, practice as well. You know, the, there was, sorry, not, not contradictions, there was implications yeah. Uh, for us moving towards a vegan diet um, that I wa was not aware of, like, you know, the, the amount of carbon produced for the transport of avocados and yeah. even lettuce, for example, is something that's very carbon heavy and things like that that I, I, I wasn't aware of. Uh, so that was interesting. The second thing was I did my case study. Uh, on a uh, an athlete who converted from a vegan diet, uh, sorry, converted from an omnivore diet to a vegan diet, uh, and he is um, a, a very very high profile GA player. Mm. 
-hmm. So that was a really interesting insight to look at from a nutrition point of view, from a behavior point of view, from an engagement perspective with peers, what that was like um, for him. He was able to maintain all aspects of performance, but it took a lot of work. I'd say that was such an interesting case study. That was was. brilliant. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a video on those at some stage if you share more about them. Um, I wanted to just very lastly, um, Daniel, just mention your website and book because I have a copy of your book. I can see it now as I record this in my room. Crazy. And your web your website is obviously just uh, I know you're work it's you've been working on it for quite a while now to get it just right. And it yeah. is live, is it? It's live. The DaveNutrition.com is live, yes. Um uh, I I was editing something on it uh, last week. And it popped up that the thing that I was editing on, I just looked at the bottom corner, was from March 2018. Wow. Uh, so the website was in development for probably two and a half years and I've been working on the site. So for six months, I was conceptualizing the concept. And then for two years, I've been working on it. And it's funny, as time has gone on, I've been less and less, even though it's grown and developed, but you become less and less sure about it, mm. which is really funny. It's like you're doing an exam, and even though you're doing all of your work, you're less and less sure about whether you've got the right answers or not. Yeah. <laughs> but happy to say it's out there, and the feedback so far has been really positive. Fantastic. And I know, obviously, the book has um, really been so successful in the last, since you've released it. It's just so exciting. I've been showing it to my family. I've told you already multiple times the chocolate protein bars from it are a regular feature in my life. People keep asking me for that recipe. I'm like, you need to go find the book or find Daniel, please. Oh, uh, fire it away. You yeah. share it now. You're, you're, one, you're one of like, a, you're yeah, an ex, almost like an extension of the Davy Nutrition family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm very, very glad to hear that. Um, are you, have you been enjoying having the book out? I'm sure it's been very, very busy. Um, have you I had time it, to sit yeah. back and appreciate it? Oh, that's a very deep question to ask me, actually. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Uh, I, I, I'll, give a, I'll give a short answer to uh, a very complicated, uh, a very good but a, a complicated question. Fair I have enough. an awful habit of doing this. I do something and I work on something and I put as much energy into it as I can and I try to be as precise. It's not ever going to be perfect, never. And then I... I let it go out into the world and I move on very quickly. And I think that's probably just part of my environment and the way that you become conditioned when you're working in elite sport is that it's uh, very, very quickly about the next thing. So if in if I reflect on the book, I have been incredibly fulfilled and uh I suppose, overwhelmed on a lot of different levels about how it's reached people and how people have found it beneficial. And I'm very, very, very pleased that people have found it a useful resource. Uh, So that's really, that's really how, that's a short version of how I feel about it all. That's lovely. I love the use of the word fulfilled. It's one of my favorite words, fulfillment. I think that's really, really nice. Hard found, hard found. Yeah, it is. It is. Daniel, this has been such a lovely episode. Thank you so much for being my guest on this this episode. Could you just to finish, give the listeners uh, one tip to bring a bit more of an Irish balance into their lives? That's a question I ask every guest when they come on. And sometimes it's um, not what I've always expected from the guest, but whatever uh, you think you'd want to share yourself. I think because I'm so influenced by, I didn't know this was coming, by the way, sorry. Um, but <laughs> okay. I, uh, I think it's actually sometimes the best things come out of, so, so some of the things that I've said, people have said back to me have been the things that I've said in these moments. So that's, um, it's a good way of putting people on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. Um, I'm going to go back to something that a very, very good friend of mine um, said to me only about two weeks ago. She said that, what she started to notice in the world um, with when she's out on her walks with her with her daughters were the buds on the trees. And she said, you know, she her her girls are 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 old enough or were old enough before now to notice these things, but that it's only now because 
everything has slowed down that they've really been able to take that in and appreciate it. And it's almost like they've, they've been able to see the different stages of, of, of growth. And that's something that they've seen value in. Mm. For me, it's actually been an unbelievable time for recognizing how fortunate I am to have um, you know, such great friends and connecting with them more. And we talked about it before we came on here. And I think if I was to say one thing, it is the value of connection to uh, our loved ones and our valued connection to close friends. So to carry with you, you know, we, we all have to, we all have these little conversations with ourselves and commitments that we make to our, each other. But uh, I think it's a commitment to connection uh, and, and a consistent connection con- connection um, over the next weeks and months that can be, bring a lot of value to us. Uh, it's not that there's it, there's a lot to be said to, to having those small conversations. I love that. I couldn't agree more. I've become obsessed with cherry blossom trees because on yes. my walks I see them and I never normally see cherry blossom trees you know I just wouldn't and as we were saying um before we recorded connecting and making the phone calls that you might have put off or just not put in a priority place it's a great answer thank you it's been such a lovely chat with you Daniel thank you I hope those listening have taken as much value from it as I have would you be able to let people know where to find you on social media where to find your website or if you have any upcoming well, I was about to say events, but we're not allowed to have events at the moment. So that's no, not no, no events. But no, uh, it has been good from the point of view of doing um, things like webinars and things like that. But DaveyNutrition.com is my website. Davey, uh, at DaveyNutrition on, on social media, you'll get me. Um, and I suppose the only thing is that my name is Daniel. <laughs> so many people think now I'm Dave. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that, that's Davey. Daniel, our Davy. Yeah. So you'll get me a Daniel Davy. <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks, Thanks a million, Daniel. Thanks so much. That's and thank awesome. you to everyone for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, please do tag myself and Daniel in your stories. You know where to find us both now. And thank you for listening, as I said. And I'll catch you guys next week for the next episode. Bye.